Like them pretty girls when they get the notion. Ranzo, Ranzo, It's a little difficult to believe that the Victoria Lock at the seaward end of Nuri Ship Canal is fast falling into disrepair, and soon, with the fallibility of man's mechanical efforts, and the inexorable certainty with which nature does her job of silting an estuary, this great gateway to the sea, which brought commerce and prosperity to the heart of Ulster from 1850 onwards, and saw many of her sons and daughters leave for new worlds, would become a useless hulk in a beautiful landscape. She said, none the better for the seeing of you. Ranzo! Ulster in the 16 and 1700s with its great central Loch Ney, some 50 feet above sea level, was ideally suited to the development of a system of canals which would carry produce from the interior of the Kingdom of Ireland to the coast at various points for export abroad. Once it was possible for people and produce to travel from Leitrim in the south, via the Ballinamore and Ballyconnell Canal, up to Loch Ney, then south again on the Newry navigation to the town itself, which by the year 1742 was one of the most important seaports in Ireland. In that year, the Newry Inland Canal or navigation through 18 miles and 14 locks to the point of Whitecoat, just south of Portadown, had been opened to the horse-drawn lighters, which moved gently along the shallow channel. At the time of building the canal, powerful interests in Ireland pressed the Lord Lieutenant for the Kingdom for a special type of help. From Dublin Castle on the 10th of May, 1732, the following letter went out. My Lord, a memorial and scheme have been laid before us by Sir Edward Pierce, His Majesty's Engineer and Surveyor General, for employing part of the foot forces in making a navigable canal between Loch Ney and Newry such a proposal being entirely new in this kingdom, and there being no opportunity of learning here whether the colonels of foot, who are almost all in England, have any objections to it. And though the colonel should agree to it, the general officers, who are here, seeming desirous to know whether it would be agreeable to his majesty to have his troops employed in such a service before they take upon them to consider any scheme for it, we herewith transmit the said memorial and scheme and submit this matter to your grace's consideration. We are, with great respect, my lord, your grace's most obedient and humble servants, John Armagh, Wyndham and Ralph Gore. Barton, in his dialogue of some things of importance to Ireland, particularly to County Armagh, had this to say and his observations in 1751 underlines the great raison d'etre for the Newry navigation. The beds of coal with which the county of Tyrone abounds in the neighbourhood of a navigable lake, which has also a navigable connection to the sea by means of a canal, are of extraordinary consequence to the kingdom. The works are now in a fair way of answering the noble intention of the public in laying out above £50,000 sterling in order to open a free passage of supplies of fuel to a great part of the kingdom, but especially to the capital. 
this passage being a beautiful canal from the seaport of Nuri to the navigable part of the river Ban, which will enable the kingdom to receive coal at eight or nine shillings a ton. And so it was coal from the mines at Coal Island and pressure from the merchants of Dublin for supplies of the fuel, something which would remove the necessity for costly and unreliable imports from England, which offered the Newry Inland Canal and later the Newry Ship Canal their opportunity for life. In 1744, the Inland Canal played an important part in saving many thousands of Ulster people from starvation. Foul weather had destroyed the harvest over the greater part of the Loch Ness Basin, and by the springtime of the year following, there was a very real threat of famine throughout much of Mid-Ulster. Records of the time show that but for the canal and the importation of grain and corn which it allowed, as many as 50,000 people would have died. Importantly, the export of Tyrone coal continued, but by 1748, the Newry Inland Navigation was carrying produce from Newry to ports of the Loch Ness Basin and on via the Ballinamore and Ballyconnell Canal to the towns of counties Monaghan and Cavan. The manufacture of linen benefited too, as the record puts it, upon account of the convenient water carriage for kelp and other weighty materials necessary for the trade. Flour, oatmeal and general merchandise was sent inland from the port of Newry and between 1748 and 1767 almost 2,000 vessels went up the inland canal paying over £1,800 in tolls. By 1840, the output of coal from the Tyrone mines had fallen, and this factor, coupled with the coming of the railways, brought about the beginning of the end for the Newry Inland Canal. Eventually, in 1949, the warrant for the abandonment of the canal was granted by the government. Mick Waddle is a canal lockkeeper's son, and he remembers well the work and the grand quality of living with which he grew up at lock number nine in Points Pass. Maybe kids today, the first thing you'd see would be a helicopter. Well, the first thing I saw was the lighters, the boats coming up and down. And the later men were the first people that I ever, that I ever really got to know. Uh, what sort of boats were they, Mick? Well, <clears throat> there were two iron boats. Now, they were the two big ones. I think they used to carry about 100 tonnes. But the rest, all the rest of the boats were, uh, they were wooden boats. Held, I think, around 60, 65 tonnes of, of coal. See, they brought the coal from Newry, it came into Newry port, and the coal uh, went from uh, from Newry to Portadown. And I think the cost of 65 tonnes of coal to go from Newry to Portadown was about 23 shillings. I suppose, too, the lighter men, the men who, who worked the boats, they had more than their share of characters, I would think. Oh, they were really rich characters, really rich characters. And, I mean, uh, they, weren't, they weren't even known by their surname or their Christian name at all. They all had nicknames. Now, I can remember so well all the nicknames they had. Now, there was one famous character, Hammerhead. I mean... Uh, Another one... Uh, Hammerhead. Hammerhead, yes. <laughs> he must have been a rare-looking boy. Another character, he was called the Heel of the Evening because 
the reason for that was, you see, my mother would maybe have a bit of work to do or go to visit a neighbour or something like that, and she had to be there on the job, or some of us. That's before I was capable of, of putting the letters <coughs> through. And uh, she would want to know when any more boats coming, you see. Well, you would ask uh, some of them, uh, maybe dance, to ask somebody, uh, is there anything come following you? And uh, the reply you would get, oh, yes, Mrs. Waddle, uh, Hammerhead, he'll be here in the heel of the evening. Well, that character, he became known as Hammerhead. <laughs> yes, yes. Well, the, the, the sound, the sound marvellous times, you know, there were a time when you were very much your own boss, your, your life revolved around the, 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 the lock and the, the, the movement of the ships up and down. Oh, yes. Well, now, I wouldn't really call them ships. They were called lighters. Mm. Uh, there was a great sense of independence, really, in those days. I mean, people, uh, they weren't depending on supermarkets, they weren't depending. Now, I can remember at home, uh, we had our own uh, couple of cows, we had our own butter, our own milk, plenty of potatoes and vegetables in the garden. And uh, even uh, mother used to make, she, she spent a lot of her summer making jam. I mean, the only thing, and uh, baking bread, of course, the flour, we used to have a, a bag of flour sitting up in the corner and there was a big crow in the bag. You can remember that when I was very, very young. Yeah. It's funny how things like that stick in the uh, mind. That sticks in my mind, yes. Newry's importance as a seaport throughout the life of the Inland Canal and indeed later depended on her ability to send ships to the sea at Carlingford Loch, originally via the tidal and fairly dangerous Clanry River. By 1824, problems of silting and dangerous tides and winds prompted the merchants of the town to write to the Earl of Gosford. The injurious consequences to our trade resulting from this state of our navigation are that 10 or even 14 days are frequently lost between the arrival of a vessel at Warren Point and her getting up to her place of discharge at Custom House Quay at Newry and an equal delay is frequently, from the same cause, experienced in her departure for sea. The merchants of Newry's Chamber of Commerce were really asking for improvements to the channel to the sea, and importantly the extension of the town's ship canal, which at that stage was a modest affair, by one and a half miles to Lower Fathom, where they asked that a new sea lock should be established. Well, the merchants got their way, and in April of 1850 the Newry Ship Canal proper from the Victoria Lock to the Albert Basin in the heart of Newry, was in business. Sixteen years earlier, on the 3rd of May, the Dublin Penny Journal spoke of the old lock at Upper Fathom and of the beauty and peace which the area provided. About one and a half miles from Newry is Fathom Mountain, finely covered with plantings, tastefully arranged in clumps and groups, and decorated with several handsome lodges and cottages, from the midst of which an old octagon tower presents itself. At Fathom, the canal commences. This forms a junction between Carlingford Bay, Loch Ney and the River Ban. A short distance from this is Green Island, a small place at which boats are built and where some of the lesser craft of shipping are laid up for repairs. A little further in, on the opposite side, is the elegant property of Roger Hall Esquire. This is thickly covered with young timber and from which several handsome gatehouses open onto the shore. Near the village of O'Meath, an elegant mansion in the cottage style attracts the eye, and here the tourist may observe at one glance, within the compass of a few hundred yards, two provinces, Ulster and Leinster, and three counties, Down, 
Armagh and Louth. We would advise those who are anxious to have at once the most complete, the most diversified and the finest view of the beautiful scenery on both sides of the bay to take a boat at narrow water and row or sail down the river as far as Carlingford. Well, people did row and sail in the bay and in the canal. Henley's Royal Regatta in 1928 saw a team from the Newry Rowing Club compete and win a major event. That team with names like Smith, Collins, Allen, Corky, Crozier, Fisher and Cronin defeated a German crew and they received a telegram of congratulations from the Kaiser himself. Well, today the canal is closed to commercial shipping. That's all gone to a new deep water port at Warren Point. But there's an important effort now to develop the shipping canal to its full recreation potential. John Donnelly, he's a local painter, but he's one of the men behind that effort. If we can just preserve it and get some work done on the banks and landscaping some of the middle bank and I suppose strengthening the banks along the Omeath Road and keeping a crew all the time working on a clean-up job in the Newry part of the canal. Well, you've got four and a half or five miles of, of waterway between Newry and the uh, sea lock at, uh, at Fathom. Is that enough water to enjoy the sport of boating? Is there enough interest there to get a boating club going and to sustain that kind of sport on the canal? Well, I think the Southern Library Board are interested in the basin as a sail training area for bringing children onto sailing. And the canoeing aspect, I think the canoe clubs are interested and also the rowing club. And then again, you can spend hours having fun just uh, doddling up and down, taking your time, watching wildlife and spinning and fishing and just generally messing about in boats. The best place to see and hear the wildlife of Newry Canal is down on the water itself and rowing quietly along is one of the more pleasant ways of enjoying all that the water has to offer. The middle bank, that's the stretch of land which runs the length of the canal and separates it from the tidal river Clanry. Well, it's absolutely lush at this time of year with vegetation. The trees and I can see small oaks and sycamore and there's, I think, a walnut Actually, the Fisher Company called one of its boats after the walnut. Well, the trees too here seem all that much more green. I think it's probably because of the nearness of the water. And there, where the bank has broken away, it's possible to see the roots of, uh, of the trees going down maybe three, four feet into the canal itself. More than any species here, the, the canal, I think, abounds with, with moorhen. They're about the size of a small farmyard hen. You'll probably find them living in almost any stretch of fresh water, anywhere in Ireland, really. They've been building their nests along the bank. Indeed, the nests aren't particularly hard to find. You've got to be careful, of course, not to disturb them and force them to abandon the eggs. I'll just turn the boat here and come a little bit closer into the bank. Mind you, most of the first clutch of eggs has hatched out at this stage, but the moorhens themselves, well, they'll have probably another one batch of eggs, maybe two, before the, the laying stops when we come into the month of August. And we're now 
coming very close to the kind of area where I would expect to find a moorhen nest. Vegetation from the bank was coming a little bit further. The vegetation from the bank falls down into the, the water. It's mostly gorse. And it's fairly prickly stuff too, believe me. With beautiful yellow flowers now. You know, they seem to be fading quite fast. May, I think, is really the, the best month for the gorse to get the bloom. But there's a countryman here told me the other day the flower actually on the gorse comes several times a year. I'm not sure if that's true, but that's what the man says. Yeah, there's... And get in, there's a moorhen nest just ahead. It's either a nest or one of their display platforms. <clears throat> just wait, there we are. Oops, a little bit too hard there. They use the, 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 the display platforms rather like an actor uses a stage. The only difference, of course, is that the moorhen is using the, uh, the stage to attract a mate. Seems to make sense. No, it's a nest, all right. And there, there's the remains of, uh, of some eggshell. Remember being down here, not just here in this spot, about the end of May. It was a little further down the canal. We approached a nest site where the young had already hatched out. Uh, on that particular day, it was very interesting as we approached the nest. The mother, I think it must have been the mother, flew out from the nest almost as though she was deserting the young. And what in fact she was doing was to fly off further up the canal to distract our attention. And... When we got past the nest, safely past, I suppose, in her opinion, she crossed the canal ahead of us to the other side. Whoops, there's the rollock away. To the other side, watched us very carefully, and then started to call to the young. So I suppose just to let them know that everything was all right and that we had, we had headed off. But once we were a safe distance away, she started she started heading back across, swimming back across the, uh, the canal, back to the young still in the nest. Well, another bird we have uh, a lot of here in the canal area is the heron. It looks a little unusual, rather like, I suppose, a stork. The layman thinks a stork looks like, but it's, it's really far from unusual because it's to be found all over Ireland and England. Here on the canal, the heron nests in trees on the middle bank. They live communally in what naturalists call heronries. There are a few heronries around here. They look absolutely majestic, I must say. They stand on their long, thin legs, sometimes on top of a post, rather like a sentinel. A bit incongruously, I think. Sometimes they're to be found in the middle of a field. They're all right here for the plenty of trees to, to build in. But uh, in the west of Ireland, Connemara and Galway... The trees are a great deal less plentiful, I suppose. They tend to come down to earth and nest in low bushes and in deep heather. The real problem about any change in the topography of the Newry Canal, I suppose, is that a new and changed environment may affect the lives of these birds and the duck, visiting duck and birds which come here sometimes for the winter. The canal has had its share of colourful and beautiful mallard Still some of them about. They're here quite, quite all the time almost, resident birds. The mallard has successfully lived alongside man, of course, for many, many years. Perhaps because of his appearance, he's very pleasing to look at. And now the great fear is that any change in the water levels here may affect the plant life in which the mallard and indeed all the other wild birds here spend much of their time 
feeding upon. Oops, what's that? Here we go again. Back into the rowlock and we're away. The irony, I think, of the proposed development, as it's called, here at Newry Canal, is that by lowering the canal level, there could well be a more luxuriant re-establishment of the plant world regime. It wouldn't take all that long either because of the ability of the sun to penetrate further into more shallow water. However, the structure of the canal, shallow at the sides and going down into something of a V-shape to the deepest point, makes that kind of benefit a little bit more unlikely. Reduction of level, strangely, could well remove the shallow bank side areas and leave only the real deep in the middle where the V starts to fall away. That wouldn't, I gather, from ecologists, be very helpful. The very least that the canal preservation people want is an independent inquiry into the ecological effects of changing the canal environment. And after so many years of history and history and harmony with resident and visiting wildlife, it really seems the very least that should be done. Well, I've now come to the trout hatchery belonging to the Nurian District Anglers Association and with me is the treasurer of that body, Mr George O'Neill. George, can I ask you to tell me something about the numbers of fish you've got here and what kinds of fish they are? Well, at the moment, we have approximately 30,000 fish. This includes a number which have been left over from last year's rearing and the, the complete number from this year's rearing, rearing so far. Um, approximately... 15,000 rainbow and the same again of browns. How do you get these fish? Well, we get them from Wobanaha Fish Farm. We get them at the Eidova stage, which is, uh, they're fairly strong at this stage and uh, we have uh, a minimum number of losses. You also take your own eggs, I understand, from fish in the area. We do, yeah. Well, this is a, a very long and slow operation and you're inclined to lose a lot of, of eggs at this, uh, through this operation. But it's very, very interesting. It seems a fairly costly and extensive operation for, for a, one fairly small angling association. Where does the money come from? Well, we have a fairly large um, membership, with three to 400 in all. And then as well as that, we get a ministry grant, which is very, very beneficial. Without this grant, uh, it would be a lot more difficult to run this operation. I know certainly a few months ago you released some trout into the Newry Canal. How did they, how did they manage? Well, we've had uh, some returns and uh, they seem to have done extra well. They've even put on a little weight, I think, which uh, argues pretty well for the, for the type of water and for its uh, purity. The anglers of Newry are, in so many ways, the waterway's best friends, its best conservators. And next year, Oliver Magali, who has given more than a decade of time and energy to the cause of the canal, hopes to bring the World Course Fishing Championships to Newry. The, the main species in the canal uh, is bream. Uh, we have also rudd, uh, eels, pike, the odd trout. And recently, um, through some mysterious um, 
method, uh, new species have been introduced to the canal, like roach and, and uh, tench, and we have a few rainbow trout, uh, which I think probably uh, escaped from the, the local island club's hatchery, on, on, uh, sort of that situated on the banks of the canal. The, the canal itself, the layout of the canal, the the sort of general topography of the of the area, how suitable is it for the kind of business you're involved in? Well, I would say the, the Newry Canal is an ideal venue um, for any big competition. In fact, I wouldn't hesitate to put it this, uh, to, um, to say that we could facilitate the World Championships here in Europe. That's a, that's a bit of a, a tall order. Is it? Are you exaggerating now? Are you simply being optimistic? N- not one little bit. And in fact, I hope um, we, not, Northern Anglers, in fact, are fairly strongly represented on the All-Ireland Course Fishing Federation. And in the next week or two, we'll be putting forward a proposal that um, we apply for the World Championships for Ireland and we have it from good authority that the people the, in, say, shall we say, tourist circles are prepared to back this to, 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 a, great, to a very high degree uh, financially. The World Championships, uh, the Newry Canal has, in fact, everything that our World Championships would require. We have a stretch of water that runs in a straight line for about two to two and a half miles. Um, but this would quite easily uh, accommodate the 100 or 100 and odds of competitors that usually we have in World Championships. One of the things I think they like to have in a World Championships is the uh, water running in a straight line and uniform depth. This we have in the Erie Canal as well as, as a great head of fish, and, and uh, there's no reason why we shouldn't have one of the most successful World Championships held over this past number of years in, at Newry. It's a strange irony that the Newry Canal, which until five years ago was a busy centre for shipping, has now a substantial question mark over its future. But as the arguments go on and the various interests stake their claims, it can do no harm at all to listen for a while to the memories of Captain Brian O'Keefe, the man who, more than most, took ships down to the sea from Newry. Going down to the locks, that is Newry locks, I watched the ships coming in, both sailing ships and uh, steamers. When you would go along there, perhaps a sailing ship coming in, it came up by tugboat. The um, tugboat then was the Sleefoy. Uh, that tug towed the ship from Carlingford Bar right to the locks. Then the ship was handed over then to the horsemen, as they called them then at that time. The horses would tow the ship then to Newry. But when the ships would be coming in through the locks, there was always a lot of, always a lot of excitement. There was lots of people gathered there for to see the sailing ship, which would be a timber ship in my time. I never remember. Do you, do you actually remember yourself the, the days of the sailing ships? Oh, yes. I remember well the days of the sailing ships. There would be roughly nine or ten, perhaps, timber ships would arrive in Uri over the um, that particular season, you know, when timber, there is a season when the timber is cut and sawed and then when it is wanted here in the town. It would come in somewhere around from, I suppose, August onwards, mostly through the winter. Tell me something about those ships. How, what kind of ships were they? How did they look? Uh, were they impressive vessels? Oh, very impressive. Very impressive. 
There was uh, regular ships came on that run. Regular ships from uh, companies, you know. I remember one father and family was on one ship. She was called the Christina. The name of the company I couldn't tell you, but the father was on one ship and his son had the other ship from the company. They were regular ships coming for either Fisher or Shields. And they would, uh, they would come with a cargo and um, when they were discharged, they would have to take ballast, you know, to take them back again. What kind of ballast did they, did they take on board at Newry? Well, they would ballast with stone, gravel. It would be taken from the quarry. Look what quarry is around. They would cart it down and put it on board for to ballast them to go back again to Denmark, Sweden, wherever, Finland, wherever they were returning to. I served me time in the black ball line To me way, hey, hey, hurrah Oh, in the black ball line I served me time Hurrah for the black ball line The black ball ships, they are good and true To, to me way, hey, hey, hurrah oh. They are the ships for me and you Hurrah for the black ball line Well, memories are fine and important and a great source of enrichment of people's lives. But what of the canal and its future? Indeed, what of its potential for enriching lives? Isn't the requirement today for an area of recreational facility, a nature reserve perhaps, a parkland of great beauty, isn't this every bit as pressing and important as was the need in the early 1700s for a means of shipping cheap coal to Dublin? Urian Mourne District Councillor John Bell, Deputy Head of the Abbey Primary School and a believer in the canal cause. But another thing that we've ignored completely in this country is reclamation. And there must be a mile and a half or a one and a half square miles of slob land there that is tidal at times, which could be easily recovered, I believe. That's up to a thousand acres for redevelopment in the future Newry. Well, you're talking with, with determination, certainly, and uh, the ideas sound uh, totally reasonable, but in a sense, aren't you closing the door after the, uh, after the horse is bolted? Because the area plan has already uh, been studied out, and we're now uh, awaiting confirmation of the proposals in the plan from the government. No, I couldn't agree with that, because I, continue, I would visualise this as being an extension of the Newry area plan. Once the Newry area plan comes into operation, we just don't say full stop. I think Mr McAvoy would agree with that. Sean McAvoy, you're chairman of the council and can I put it to you that the proposals drawn up for the central Newry area, proposals which you were party to, uh, may well destroy the canal as we know it? Uh, well, I would sincerely hope not. We went along with the whole idea of the Newry Central study and the new idea with regard to a one-channel system to the town because we found it a very exciting prospect. We thought it would improve amenity in the town and give great opportunity right from the basin on down. Now, we're aware of the fear expressed particularly by the angling clubs and others that with a fall in the level of the present canal, all this would be very seriously affected. But I think it should be made clear that what will be brought out at this stage will be some kind of recommendation uh, perhaps uh, a firmer suggestion than has formerly been <coughs> the case. But we are still happy enough at this time uh, that the case has been very well put. There was a public inquiry, as you know, into the whole business. The various interested parties went. 
and put their case very strongly. And I, for one, would think that what will come out of it will be uh, good for the area as a whole. And I would sincerely hope that even if the level is affected, it would be to the extent only, uh, only marginal, that still all kinds of angling, water sport and so on can go on. The most ambitious of hopes for the future of Newry Shipping Canal and even the inland navigation itself all the way to Portadown may yet be realised. Newry and Morne District Council has established a special committee to investigate the potential for development. But enter here into our story the chairman of Enterprise Ulster, Paddy Shea, a Newry man and head of an organisation which has substantial money to offer important community projects in areas where unemployment is high. Newry and the canal in particular seem to fit the bill. First of all, I'm wearing two hats. Number one, as chairman of Enterprise Ulster, of course we only carry out schemes we are asked to carry out. If the council wanted us to do a scheme on the canal, uh, we, would, we would certainly like to do it, and I don't see any reason why we shouldn't. And I can think myself of very attractive schemes. Now, secondly, as a Newry man, I think this canal could be made into one of the most attractive amenities in, in the north of Ireland. Now, you and I know the, the ship canal that runs from Newry down to Carlingford Loch. For example, there is a bank there, the middle bank, we used to call it when I was a boy, that is almost a wasteland that runs for about two to three miles. It could be made, the term linear park is used in a great many people nowadays. I can't think of, a, in the whole of the north of Ireland, a spot that I would more like to see developed. But between uh, the departments that work in the water and what we could do, I think, on the banks of the canal, that is one. I mean, there are various other spots, of course, as you know, in the middle of the town, and indeed between Newry and Portadown, right along where the canal runs. See, the kind of, the kind of length of bankland we're talking about is about four and a half, five miles from the town down to the Victoria Lock. That yeah. must have a lot of potential. Enormous potential, sure. Do, am I not right in saying that a few years ago, a fishing club from, from England came across and held their annual competition in the Newry Canal. That's without any special work. If one could develop the banks so that you can sit down and fish, so you can park your car and possibly stock it with fish and do something about... Uh, it's, not, it's, it's not really dirty water, but d d ensuring that it's not polluted. Uh, I think it could be an immense benefit to this area. I have no doubt at all, and I'm delighted to hear that someone's doing something about it at last, because I think I first mentioned this in Newry five years ago. When the ship came into the locks, the crew would run the tow rope out to the horsemen and they would uh, connect it onto, they had a special trace and a bar coming along on their, underneath their tail and a hook, straight hook, not a, not a loose S hook, just a straight, uh, solid hook, you know, and they would put the rope on us. And if a horse went into the canal, if a horse by accident, it has happened, uh, the rope would always come off the hook itself as it was going in, and the old horse would come out. But those horses could go along the bank on their own. They would always say, put the leader, some old one, and if they were training a younger horse to the job, well, 
you could always see as a boy, you could always see the young one coming along, you know, and being hard to break into the job. But were there special families around Newry at that time, Captain? Families which uh, were experienced in using the horses and which kept the horses for the canal work? Oh, yes, yes. They were mostly country folk from around the Fatham Road and around Clog and there. They did have the horses. There was horsemen about the town, but they very seldom bothered about the towing the towing the vests, the timber vests and so on. Well, what about your own decision to go to sea? How did that come about? What, what, uh, what encouraged you to, to make the break and say you were going to spend your life uh, travelling to sea? Well, I, I had uh, six brothers. Went to sea before me and uh, father went to sea. But it was a natural thing for you to do. Almost. It was a natural thing. I was the youngest of the family, and I was the youngest of the boys. A girl younger than me, but I was the youngest of the boys, and all going to sea. Coming home, well, I did stop at home. I was eighteen when I went off. Uh, well, I'm becoming eighteen uh, when I went. I, uh, I was a good while making up my mind about going to sea, and even after I went to sea. I uh, I didn't fancy it. I suppose I was 12 months before I made up my mind that I was going to stop at it. I can always remember my first trip. I left Newry on the 16th of March, 1928, and made one trip out and back again. Then I went off and was away for four four and a half months. There was, back in those days, we used to go off on French potato trade, French strawberry trade, fish trade, everything. You'd be away for a long time. But I arrived back, I would say it must have been August, July, end of July, middle mm-hmm. of summer around that. And getting off at the locks for to uh, walk up home. I well, father lived there and family lived on the Flagstaff Road. I could hardly describe it, you know, when I came down the road. I got on the road first. I was rolling. <laughs> Imagine I was rolling along. You know, lift your feet when you're on a ship. Well, the ship is rolling. But I came along the road and, you know, walking along, you're picking up your feet, you wonder what they were going to go down and, well, and then I had to go through the fields, walk through the fields right up to where we lived. That was a shortcut. I could have went round the road, but I walked up through the fields. And I had to look back, you know, at the canal. And I thought to myself, well, where is it? What is it? It's beautiful. And then you would come along. And at that particular morning, a... Uh, it must have been around half past seven, what I can remember. It was bright daylight, anyhow. And the women would be out milking. You know, summertime, the cattle would be out in the field and the women would be out milking. And he would have a hello. You're welcome back. Did you ever see a wild goose sailing o'er the ocean? Ranzo, Ranzo, way. 
just like them pretty girls when they get to the notion. Ranzo, Ranzo, way. The other morning I was walking by the river. Ranzo, Ranzo, way. When I saw a young girl walking with her topsails all a quiver. Ranzo, Ranzo, way. I said, pretty fair maiden, how are you this morning? Ranzo, Ranzo, she said, none the better for the seeing of you. Ranzo, Ranzo, When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.